0: What's up everyone, welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host Ryan Kramer and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard earned money. Each episode on here will feature leaders in the digital space to help entrepreneurs grow their knowledge and understanding of the Amazon and e-commerce world. Let's get started what's up everyone i'm your host ryan kramer and welcome to another live episode of crossover commerce presented by ping pong payments this is episode 66 um just a little bit about ping pong payments real quick before we get kicked off ping pong provides marketplace sellers and entrepreneurs global solutions for controlling their domestic and international funds an account with ping pong enables companies to significantly reduce their costs when receiving or making international payments all in one platform to help increase operational efficiencies and save you the seller time and money. For more information, go ahead and check out the link below in the show notes. Go ahead and click through to sign up for a free account today. If you have questions, go ahead and reach out to uh, myself or someone else at PingPong Payments. I'll give you the contact information, but that's not what we're talking about today. But for everyone who is watching on live on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Thanks for joining us. Again, this is Friday. We like to have a lot of fun on Friday on our shows. Um, or again, if you're listening to this via download on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, truly just wherever you can search or find or listen to podcasts, we're gonna be there. Just search ping pong pa- or excuse me, crossover commerce presented by ping pong payments. And that's where you'll find me and my beautiful voice. Um, Go ahead and download and again, follow, like, and share this episode on social media and hit that reminder button to be notified of future episodes on Crossover Commerce. Anytime you see uh, one of our episodes pop up on social media, the best way to be notified is to follow us on social media or follow myself on social media. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, and uh, Instagram as well. So go ahead and look, uh, look for me there. I go live about four to five times per week. It's fantastic because I get to bring in people like my guest to talk all things e-commerce and get a really great perspective. Um, what's going on in the Amazon world and the e-commerce world as well. But before we uh, go live, if you can't catch this live again, you can watch us on replay on YouTube. That link should also be on the show notes below. So go ahead and check us out there as well. But about our guest today, um, about him and cartology. Uh, He is a musician turned business owner. He used his knowledge of selling music gear on eBay and the guide guide of the mentor to launch his own e-commerce business. He scaled his business and made about a $2,000 investment and began growing his business on eBay. And after nurturing this company for about a year, he took a leap of faith and quit his job, his nine to five job and started down the path of entrepreneurship. I'm going to speak well today, I promise you, everyone. (laughs) He now runs his own Amazon managed services agency, Cartology, which routinely manages six-figure ad spend on AAP. He's launched dozens of products and brands with them and have achieved multiple first-page search results, reinstated suspended accounts, be it taking a vendor account from zero to 21,000 MPOs, or taking a seller count down from 50% to 10% year-over-year year in 60 days. They're committed to uh, solving problems. Again, welcome to the show, Michael Merritt of Crossover Commerce. Michael, what's up, man? How are you doing today? Did you just call me Markle? That is
1: unacceptable.
0: No, it? I didn't say Markle. Did I, I mean, say Markle? I'm just kidding. I don't know. Markle? I, when you said,
1: by the way, like, if you not Amazon related, you said down in the show notes, I swore you said
0: show nuts. Um, Show nuts. Yeah. That's, that's underneath the, it's underneath Underneath,
1: the the hood. And then you said I go live three to four times a week. That made me think of that. uh, The, the dishwasher. soap Don commercial where they're, the people are talking about like, Oh, we do it once a night. We do it right after dinner. And they're just talking about running Right, that advertisement. I've seen that a couple of times. I've got a terrible mind. Thanks for having (laughs) me. I appreciate that lead up. That was very kind. I am um, yeah. just excited to
0: um to talk shop or whatever. Well, I, I called you in my personal post on social media the Amazon Man of Cincinnati. And I oh. don't know if anyone's called you that before. Nobody but
1: I, has, but I might break that down.
0: You should. I um because we had on uh summer Hobart, Sumner Hobart, oh, yeah, uh, he's also from Cincinnati, and I thought about that. I was like, Oh shoot, I just deemed one of you the Amazon person of Cincinnati. He and, and I, I just did that here. you guys can duke it out over like yeah, that's off, that's off screen. So He's maybe the we'll have to film my life.
1: And we actually connected randomly through, well, not randomly, but through LinkedIn. There's someone that I had met and connected with on LinkedIn uh, like four years ago. Uh, and then he said, hey, you know, I have a buddy who who runs stuff on Amazon. You should meet with him. And it was Sumner. And so he and I grabbed coffee. Uh, and we've been to like some Amazon meetup events before. Uh, mm-hmm. really, really, really cool dude. And when I actually get my podcast live, I think he would be a good person to um, interview. I'm actually just going to go behind every person you interview and not poach them because you don't own them, but I'm going to go behind you and
0: say, yeah, let's do a better interview than Ryan Kramer. That's at, fine. Pay- <laughs> i <it. laughs> well, And this for it. So this is the thing. Like, I feel like personally, when you started podcast, I did my by accident as a lot of my listeners know. But uh, is that something you're actually uh, planning on rolling out soon?
1: Yeah. And uh, I think – one of the reasons I was hesitant to do that initially is because everybody and their grandma has a podcast. But here's the thing, and my um, my sales coach, his name's Ronel Richards, really awesome dude, um, has helped me to to develop uh, a really solid outbound sales, and, and really it, he's helped some of my inbound uh, sales. Prospecting too, just really getting it down to a good discovery call, making sure because you know cartology is not the biggest agency. We're not trying to be the biggest agency. We really just want to be the the best when it comes to a really high level of service and a customized strategy. And we we want to do we want to make sure we're looking at Amazon holistically. Um, But he helped us to help me to create a better line of questioning through a discovery call so that we can say, Hey, is this person really going to be the best fit for us? Because if they're not going to be a good fit for us, because maybe we don't have a lot of experience in their product category, or I mean, we're, we will take on anyone really, if it's the right fit, but are they right. the right fit for us personality wise? We want to make sure that uh, for a couple of reasons, we want to make sure we're, we're pairing things up right. One is because we want the client to be satisfied and two, I want our team, uh, to not feel overwhelmed or overloaded with someone that, that, uh, maybe is not a good fit for, for what we're doing, what we're looking to do. So, um, yeah.
0: So how big, how big is your agency? Because I, I just had on, um, Andrew Morgan's of, uh, Merkinology. Yeah. And I know you were on his show. What, what's up? It's this this big. That big? big? Yeah. Daddy is this much. Yeah. That big. (laughs) For Um, those who are listening that that's a, that's the, the whole, uh, I love you this much and it's a quantifiable stretch obviously but
1: <laughs> it's I,
0: I, in theory it's like this is the i just spilled I something I, on the ground like yeah <laughs> yeah sorry just of stuff. i want I love you be this much look at this we're off the yeah rails. that's
1: good i think we should all act a little bit more like kids because um kids are awesome and they have a Absolutely. better life than a lot of us because they haven't had people beating them down saying no ryan you are not important i do not want to hear your opinion on things. You are just a measly small minion in this whole world.
0: Yeah. I've, I've learned some of the best life lessons from my six year old, to be honest with you. It's like I think the, they from the best stuff too. Once, yeah. We were talking, <laughs> Yeah, we were talking before about story, about talking some about of the words that come out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, in, in terms of like what they come up with and just like, it's simple and should be straightforward in their mind. But it, but I think us as adults, we like very much, I don't, I don't know the right phrasing to do. We mess it up yep. in our own head. We it's overthink conditioning. it. Almost. We have a lot of yeah.
1: conditioning that's built into us. And honestly, kids look at the world in a really simplified way. And we've been taught, I think, also to kind of be offended by things. Like, Here's a great example. My, my wife was holding my daughter at the meat counter at Kroger and was waiting to get some, uh, some, some lunch meat or something like that. And she said uh, the, the woman behind the counter was like missing a tooth. And so my daughter,
0: just very obviously, was like, Mommy,
1: why is she missing a tooth, like, really loudly? Like, super
0: loud, and, yeah, so the person looks over at your wife.
1: Yep, she texted me and said, oh, my gosh, uh, she just, you know, our daughter just said this. Uh, And I was just cracking up, and I'm like, we're taught to be embarrassed by that stuff, but she really, she wasn't, or to to be offended by that, she wasn't doing it to be offensive. She really was just like, why is this? Just curious, yeah. And I think that curiosity is part of what, um, I, I relate to that because being an entrepreneur, you have to be a little bit curious to think, how are we going to get out in front of this thing? How are we going to uh, make this thing work? And so I'm okay with stepping out into the unknown and maybe just being a little, a little bit crazy, which, which is okay. Um, being a little bit crazy and being able to say, I don't really know everything that's happening right now, but I'm, I feel
0: comfortable to say, Hey, what is this? Or why is this thing happening this way? That's awesome. And, and so like, So, so kind of taking that context and you're like, I don't know like how this is going to look when I read your, your kind of background and your story of like how you started cartology is, it's kind of like that. Well, uh, I guess we'll see what happens. Almost like uh, we got to, got to try something new. And what, what's kind of that like mentality? Is that something you grew up with because you were a musician, musician, you kind of like kept pivoting and you kind of found your way to where you are today. So is that kind of like the mentality you take of, I'm just going to keep figuring it out as I go. And, find out what's going to keep working and then take those workings and then kind of move forward with it? In, in, excuse me, a simple answer, yes.
1: That is, uh, a lot of people, you know, take different personality tests. There's a lot, a lot out there. Um, I and my business partner, Brittany McCormick, she and I went to a financial strategist here in Cincinnati to just help us with our business and make sure we're making good decisions. Um, looking at our partnership, what does that look like? And they had us take a personality test, which was so good. Uh, Two that we took, one was StrengthsFinder, which a a lot of people are familiar with, or Clifton Strengths, Mm -hmm. it might be called now. And the other we took was the Colby A assessment. And the Colby A assessment, that's K-O-L-B-E, was created by a woman named Kathy Colby. And it it looks at the way that it asks questions, it looks at who you were at birth. And so what I mean, that sounds kind of crazy, like, Mm-hmm. I don't know who you are at birth, but it looks at your natural tendencies and your strengths and you'll see areas where you have weaknesses. but there we were told myself and Brittany were told to lean into those strength sides. like it's okay that there are things you're not great at. that's what you need to hire for. Um, and and so when Brittany and I looked at our assessments, we were both very uh, uh, what's the word um, we were we were pro risk not the opposite of risk averse. I can't think of what that would be. But right. We were, so you guys like taking risks or like we getting testing, out stuff. Fun, testing stuff, creating something. And then in that creation, we say, okay, here's a system. And then the part of one of the areas, it, it depends on how you look at it too. Like part of one of the areas that Brittany and I were not great on was follow through. So that sounds like, Oh, you can't like follow through when you commit to. No, I always follow through on what I say I'm going to do. Even if that means I have to, you know, uproot my schedule because I said I was going to do it. So I'm careful about what I commit to. It just means follow through is like the day to day, the regular, um, Hey, making sure like operational excellence, that's not my strong suit. Uh, and so we, I mean, like we revamped our operations process, which is what we just call our whole client facing team. We revamped that at the end of last year. And then we brought someone in to audit it, um, to give us feedback on what a client could also be seeing. And that's really helped us in onboarding uh, to be very clear and concise about here's how long it's going to take. Here's what needs to happen in this process and, and actually build out the process and be able to tell clients, here's what we need before we can even get started. And that brings its own challenges in and of itself. But we're, I'm very comfortable with getting out in front. Yeah. And just saying, uh, I don't really know what's happening here, but I'm OK with that. And I'm OK with trying to figure it out. Um, the the other the other disadvantage I think to that is when things have to be perfect and they have to be right in line and I have to fit in the box, I get really nervous around that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, everyone knows like in a play or something, everyone knows their parts and I need to make sure I know mine. Uh, like I put it this way. I'm definitely not, uh, I would definitely not be a classical musician. Uh, I would be more of um, a, a jazz or an improv musician or something where there's more of a group mm-hmm. because when it comes to like all those specific notes, I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna, st- I would, I mean like a lot of people just need to practice, but I'd probably stress out
0: about it too much. So were you in, so you have a, a, a musical background. Is that like from early age, like what what was that musical background like? Because I have a artistic background in terms of like I was in musicals, plays and I still did improv before everything got shut down. Oh, you did, okay. But yeah, so like that allowed me to obviously like think on my feet, allowed me to edit, but I had to, the thing that I taught, that taught me, so th- this is what it remind me of you have to listen to the people around you and you have to adjust yourself instead of going in with the preconceived notion of like, this is how I'm going to start this scene essentially. And then someone else is like, we're on the moon. And you're like, Oh shit. And then you (laughs) have to like, Oh, we're on the moon. All right. No gravity. And like all of a sudden you have to like quickly throw out what you had going into the, situation and you know it's like all right I'm gonna adjust but quickly like help move it along so that that helped me like listen uh and then adjust and kind of like move stories along and and you can apply that to business as well. But isn't it um, a rule just to say yes like yes you always say yes. That's
1: the first yeah. rule say yes. Like, like, like I remember watching the my brother did improv um, and he started to do more stand up related stuff and and now he uh does like more like per, just solo performance stuff. But when, uh, I would always love watching the improv because it could go really wrong and like, or just go really poorly. And that was funny in and of itself. But I love watching The Office, um, American version where Michael Scott's in his improv class. And he always comes in and says, Michael Scott, I got a gun. And he's just pointing and shooting people. And then, um, oh gosh, what is his, uh, what is his name um, who is in the hangover? He, uh, Ken Jeong, uh, yeah. so he's, he's in that and uh, he's in the improv class with Michael. And then all of a sudden Michael whispers in his ear
0: and he's yeah. like, just puts his hands up. He's Michael, like, why why the gun.
1: What did he tell you to do? He said he had a gun, but he can't show me.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You um, always say yes. And you just commit to it. Yeah. That was, that was probably one of the first ones that Ken Jeong actually was, I'm a big movie and TV person. So that might've been one of the first ones that he was like, just a very quick cameo and then he's out like, and then he did like major movies. And after that, so he was kind of early on as well. Wasn't it? I just started yeah. watching that. Oh, I've been through that entire uh, season with my wife and it's all on Netflix now because once it got yeah. kind of like revamped on net or like everyone re released on Netflix and I watched it back in like 2012 back when it first started. Yeah. And I was like, this is fantastic gold. Like it's so non, like it's not real life at all, but it's fantastic. It's just like, the office or anything like that. It's same thing with like the, Wait, the office is not your real life. Are you well, sure about that? I mean, when I told so when I used to live in Virginia and I said, I was from Indiana, people assumed that my life was like, uh, parks and recreation. Yeah. So you, again, you lived on a farm and you, all you had was chickens and cows and or,
1: nowhere. Well, that,
0: that in like Pawnee, Indiana, anything talked about with Pawnee, Indiana. Cause I know that when you talk with storyline, you have the actual uh, what what the show is based on, and I know the city and area that it's based on, and that's where I went to college. And I said all the yeah. stuff. Really yeah, I mean it was theoretically. That's is that right? So, so I'm in Indi- Indianapolis. So okay. uh, I'm gonna close <laughs> to Cincinnati, obviously. But in terms of where you know the show is located, obviously they based on like southern indiana they say it's in evansville which oh okay like the Newburg area which is like the uppity eagleton and then evansville's like pawnee which is it's kind of funny to think but you can associate that with like any you know city in america basically i think it makes sense but uh but yeah that that's where the show turned is talking about (laughs) nbc specials and and all the great shows online but um Yeah, actually, uh,
1: about right now.
0: Yeah, I don't even know where our topic is right now, but a friend of the show, his ears are burning. uh, What's up,
1: Uh, Sumner?
0: Yeah, Sumner said on LinkedIn. Again, if you're listening live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter, go ahead and write what you guys think about the show. We're more than happy to read this and kind of answer your questions. Well, I promise we'll get into uh, a little bit about our topic here in a little bit, but yeah, he said, hi, quick start, or whatever, whatever they are
1: yeah everyone has there's four different lanes and it's like basically says you're at six on this or you're one on this Mm -hmm. and it really plays into like what your strengths are and summoners right i start to think okay like for our for our team we're we're gonna need to decide do we really need an operations director or like how can we structure that and we would need someone that's high in follow through um and so we have actually i've had other people on our especially people that are going to be in a leadership position, or we will have them take like a Colby assessment so we can say, hey, are we playing into your strengths? Are we are we really doing what it is that uh, you're going to be happy in? Because we don't just want to bring people on and fill a role, because we're looking for longevity with clients, too. We want them to be around for a year, for two years, for three years. And we've been fortunate to have some of those. So we want to make sure that people we're working with, are we're putting
0: them in the right place. That's awesome. So yeah, going back to cardology, like you said, you guys are like this big in the world of agencies. I learned from um, Andrew that there's like an actual tier or like a scale that Amazon will classify you under. Is that true? Like, I, I honestly don't know about that. You don't know
1: that? Maybe, my, maybe he, know he knows. <laughs> um, I was <laughs> only kidding when I when I held up my hands. But how big is our team? We're fifteen people. We're all 100 remote. We started out that way back in 2016. Um, nice. And we we actually originally went kind of speaking to some of my background. I started as a consultant contractor, a freelancer, uh, and then I quickly, I know—I was doing really general e-commerce stuff because I had this e-commerce business that worked really well. And then 2016 came along, there was huge changes. Uh, I want to go into the eccentricities of the story, but I had to very quickly pivot and say, okay, what am I going to do now? And so I ended up going into the service side of things. Uh, if you want to hear more about that story, just call my 1-800 number, one 800 Yeah, uh, Michael. That's what I meant. Yeah, 1 800 Michael. And Mm -hmm. we, um, I quickly realized how much potential there was with Amazon. So we we focused on that. This is 2016, 2016, really going into 2017. But everything was remote. That's what I wanted anyway. I didn't really want an office. I didn't want to do things in that more sort of what I felt like at the time was more of a, a corporate way. I wanted it to be really free. And I wanted all the people on the team to be able to have freedom, because one of the reasons I enjoy being an entrepreneur uh, is having the freedom to like, I get to go pick up my daughter today. I can be off work early uh, and help her uh, celebrate her birthday. So there's a, there's a lot of things that are trade-offs, you know, could you potentially make more money at a larger group or a more corporate place? Yeah, absolutely. Is it really, is that really worth it to me? I think it, you just have to ask you know, yourself those questions um, I don't remember the question you asked me and no, so you're I, fine.
0: So I, I was just curious about you guys are hundred percent remote, which is really cool. Oh, yeah. is that
1: something that you will continue to be hundred percent remote. Absolutely. Um, you know, over time, there are things that we might do that might resemble some of what other people are doing, but the desire right now to have an office is not something that's very strong for me. I do, I would say that uh, it's something that I would consider, you know, of course, as we grow, I I don't, I'm not going to say we're only going to be this. I'm not going to put limits on what we we will become. I've done that before. And I want, I want to dream as big as possible. Uh, We have some big goals over the next five years, but we'll keep everyone remote. We've got people uh, here in the U.S. We've got some people in the Philippines, people in Europe, we have someone in Venezuela. So we like to look for opportunities all around the world because I do feel like there are high quality people that maybe are outside the u s. and mm-hmm. um could and we've had we have some great people on our team. majority of the people are not based in uh, the u s, but my business partner, Brittany, and I are, uh, and then our head of admin, my assistant uh, is based here in Cincinnati, but she's remote too. So like I talk to her all the time, but it's usually on like slack video calls,
0: yeah, exactly. I was gonna say like I know with my team, I've been with them one hundred percent or like uh, of almost a year now. And it's all, I haven't met a single person in person, which is it's a both strange, but also like frame because like you can connect with them obviously pretty easily. Like the, that's the world, the pandemic area has kind of taught us. But then also you don't have, you have that freedom to a little bit more like tailor your schedule to your life, which is nice. Like you don't have to go in for meetings at nine o'clock every day. And, you know, you can say like, I'm going to start later, work later, some, so on and so forth. But so what, what what's the focus for you guys as an agency? Is it more like, is it uh, retail to online? Like w- what are those clients look like for you guys in terms of like who you want to work with? Because that's a very specific thing you have to look for. You have to re- find the right fit, right? Yeah, that's a great
1: question. I would say we're looking to, to serve, uh, you know, small to medium sized businesses, kind of uh, mid tier. We're definitely not, you know, could we serve a corporate client? Well, I think we, we absolutely could. Um, but I think where we're really most passionate is in the small to medium space and there's so many opportunities there. So, uh, you know, we do have certain categories that we prospect for. Like I said, we'll we'll take on any scenario if it's a good fit, mm-hmm. but when we're going out and prospecting, we're going after a couple of categories. One might, you know, be CPG or health and personal care. Um, and there's some other categories that, you know, I didn't name all of them. Uh, we have someone that has a men's minimalist brand. It's called Everyman. Um, you can find them on Amazon uh, and they have their own store in uh, everyman.us um, shop wherever you want. I'm not going to push it to, to a certain place, but well, actually, please so, do. I have some of the, some of the products. This is one of the pens that they sell. Super, okay. super nice pen, like super, I mean,
0: it's, I don't know if solid. that's anything, but it's solid. It's yeah. not breaking, so it must be solid. Oh, it did break, but I just didn't bring it back up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're just knocking your hand on, <laughs> on the yeah, desk. Yeah, really loud. Now. But, you know, we're,
1: we're looking for people that, re- and this is might start is kind of vague, but we're really looking for people that see a lot of value in the Amazon marketplace. And they do have to have some funding because getting, you know, going into, especially starting from scratch, or even if you've got, you know, $5,000 a month in sales, which is great. You're going to have to have some capital to invest in advertising to really get you to, to push forward. And we can talk about you know why that is. I'm sure you've probably already talked you know with people in this podcast about why that is, but we need to make sure that people are, are invested. And part of the reason that is we choose to partner with clients and it's reflected in our pricing too. So when they grow, we get an opportunity to grow. Uh, and that's something that a lot of our clients really appreciate about us is that we're willing to put profitability on the line uh, because we believe in our skill set and we believe in the clients that we bring on. Um, you know, we're we're looking for people that want to build a long-term relationship. We're looking for people that uh, regardless of what they know, value what we know and want and, and request our feedback. You know, it, it can be very difficult to get into a situation where somebody hires you and they already know everything. And, and so I'm being a little sarcastic with that. Uh, but it, you know, it does happen like, well, we want you to do this. we want you to do this. And you know, and part of the reason I'm an entrepreneur is because I, I don't want to be told what to do. Yeah, there's a little bit of that in there. but you know the the success of us is not me. It's because of us as a team. Every single person is playing a really incredible part. Am I the person that started it? Yeah, and do I have a vision for it? Yes, but it would not be anything without the rest of these people on the team. So we need to make sure that they thrive as well. when I, but when we look at clients that, are, are very prohibitive. It's almost like there's a self-sabotaging nature that's in there. Well, that's not how I've seen it happen over here. And it's like, that's great. We understand that you have experience over here. Now we're talking about Amazon and it's different. And, and there's a the biggest thing that is diff, a differentiator for Amazon and really in terms of their ad platform is that you are promoting a listing that's in Amazon's catalog. So when someone buys that, whether it's organically, whether it's through an advertisement, Amazon's going to see the keyword or whatever target it was um, that got someone to purchase a product, and they're going to now tie that closer and make it more relevant to your product listing. So mm-hmm. even if you even if you sell, you know, uh, pet beds, and you're saying, hey, we want to, um, you know, we want to advertise in the word pet beds, and your product's not ranked high organically. Um, you can use advertising and that's going to help boost the visibility of your product listing. Cause one of the things that the Amazon algorithm looks at is sales history, as well as sales velocity. And we're not algorithm chasers. I do not believe in the, Oh no, the algorithm changed. We need to update this and we need to change this. And everything. Yeah. And, and chasing that just like uh, we're not ACOs chasers as well. I have a, a buddy who's in space and we talk about that all the time. So a lot of people who focus and hone in on, a cost, you know, advertised cost of sale, advertising cost of sale. And that's not the only factor that we're after because you could have a higher A cost. You could have something that's like 60 or 70%. But if your ad sales to organic sales ratio is good or your true A cost, that ad spend to your total sales is in a positive place, it, it's, in our opinion, it could be a moot point. It really depends on what the client wants as well. Um, but we're, we're really focusing on, those uh, small to mid tier clients, and we're wanting to take you know the people that are under a million to over a million. We're wanting to take the people that are a million or two million to five to ten million, and make that a more significant part of their uh, brand's revenue and help grow the brand overall. Because Amazon is a necessary place to be, but omni channel, and I think the reason why we you know we decided that or someone decided that how does retail fit in an e commerce world. There is so much shelf space and that's digital shelf space on Amazon, on your own Shopify site. Um, there's still brick and mortar shelf space. There's so many different shelf spaces. Where are your consumers, where are they actually at? And are you meeting them there? If your consumers shop at target, are you there in target where they're going to be? Do you have consumers that want to purchase your product that are prime members? You have to make sure that you're showing up in the right spots.
0: Yeah, I, and I think that's a good point because for a couple of things and breaking down what you said, and I know I, I know you saw this report yesterday on Marketplace Pulse. I love the data that they always tout out there and, and some of the information that they just like make aware of people. I'm a big data person. And this is a funny thing is over the last year, a lot of so much organic placement has been replaced by advertisement placements. And that's yeah. just, you know, uh, not frequently purchased together, I think is the only true organic placement that's left on an Amazon product page. And that's so fascinating to think about of you have to invest in advertising. Just, just like Google is like you can still find organically in your search, um, whatnot, but most people are going to find a product they are going to get served an ad more than often. They're like, yep, yeah, that's pretty close to what I want and click through it. Either be directed to an Amazon listing or Shopify store or through a retail store. They're placing these, uh, these ads. So I think ads just, albeit you know as pennies to for every click you know that that racks up but that's how all these marketplaces ultimately make money and the days of like just being organically strong yeah. are pretty pretty far gone like it will get you it will it will continue to be strong and like have your place in that space but when especially when you launch products i'm assuming like are you guys launching products for different customers as well we're launching I'm products just, we're taking damn. people that are that
1: are currently on Amazon and want to do more um, I mean, we, we've unfortunately taken on people that were not satisfied with the previous agency, maybe because they felt like they weren't doing the care they needed uh, or they weren't getting the results that they needed. And so we're always happy to take those people on because we feel like they'll, they'll have a good experience because we're giving them really actionable data and presenting it them into a way that's not just regurgitating it. Here's your A cost. this went up, this went down, but this went up, why do we think this went up? Or can we tie this back to something? And how can we turn that into something that's actionable so that it'll actually help you like use your data towards you or for, for you. And we, we want to make sure, um, want to make sure that they, you know, they ultimately have a good experience as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't for well, your question, by the way. No,
0: it's fine. No, I, it's fine. We'll pivot. We'll pivot here. Pivot. Uh, no, uh, pivot, um, What? So like in terms of like most of your clients, you said they're small to medium size. There are more often than not, they are selling in retail stores. What's kind of that like client look like more, most often than not that they're trying to figure out e-commerce in general. And they're just like, I don't know how this fits. I know I have to be on here. You guys need to help me or is it like failed somewhere else? I can't do this myself and I need your guys's help to supplement some of these areas of that I lack in.
1: I think it's predominantly the former people are have their own e-commerce stores and they see Amazon as a successful channel. And considering it makes up about 40 percent, I mean, it kind of depends upon when you look at that number, if you're looking yearly or quarterly, but it makes up about 40 percent of all e-commerce sales. So e-commerce sales are now consider 20, 25% of, I need to check that statistic, but it went of all of, of all retail sales, all total retail. And even though total retail sales went down in 2020 e-commerce sales saved some of that decline. Um, so, you know, maybe it was 5 trillion plus and it went down to 4.8 or 4.9, but e-commerce saved it from going down super, super low. And that's changed a lot of consumer behaviors as well. But, you know, long, long story short in regards to who's coming to us, Yes, people that have e-commerce stores, they see that value there, and they know that Amazon is a necessary part. We do also have people who say, uh, I'd say it's less of a of a failure; it's more of a plateau. Hey, we've hit this point. I don't think we're maximizing, or whomever we're working with, they're not maximizing our potential, helping us to reach our potential. So we want to get help, or we want to seek elsewhere. And a lot of the a lot of clients we work with, they're very digitally savvy. They're running their own e-commerce sites. But they also respect that Amazon is a different beast. And mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, getting served ads and organic content on Google, which is very similar to Amazon. And there was a while where people thought, "Oh, if you paid for an ad, it would actually boost your organic uh, ranking on Google or on search engines." And that's not the case. But there is correlation, not necessarily causation, but there is correlation on Amazon uh, with you know ad sales and organic placement. And we've been able to to go in and we. Uh, hired a head of data last year to come in and, and really analyze and visualize data better. You know, it's one thing to have a bunch of data in front of you, but can you determine what the story is? And that's what I, I thought about a lot when it would come to advertising. What are the, When we're analyzing a report, what's getting clicks and uh, w- what is the click-through rate at and why could it potentially be that way? Or this thing's getting a lot of sales but it's coming out at a really expensive cost so why could that be so figuring out what that story is and so that's something that we help people to do in in terms of reporting but looking at the data and saying oh i can see that this went up and our review rating went down so we need to make sure that we you know do these other three steps to to fix it and and something interesting that you said is that um people i know i don't remember anymore i'm i'm doing a terrible job at remembering things today. But you know, ultimately the people that are coming to us um, are those that have see the value and don't know Amazon or have hit a plateau and they've kind of gone to their limits and now they need to get a little bit more, they need to dig deeper. And once you start digging deeper into Amazon the more complicated it gets. A lot of smart people will do Amazon that are digital marketers but it's just a little bit different system. Uh, and I, you know, I don't, I've done some, some advertising on AdWords, I've done some social media marketing, all that kind of stuff. I've had brands that I've run, um, most failed initially, uh, some were successful. And so that was a great learning experience for, you know, coming to the service side of things and working with, with the brands we work with on Amazon. Um, but yeah, it, it really, uh, especially when you're evaluating a business in whole, you have to look. As well, at what are what do the clients want, and does that relate to something that's we can do on Amazon? Like, is that even realistic? So that happens in the discovery calls. Um, but we've been able to work with some really great people who trust our judgment, and I think part of that is because we will respect them and say, "Look, this is your business, so you're going to make the you're going to make the call. We're not going to make that call for you. What we will do is give you your options and help you better understand those options, and we will give you our recommendation." Uh, but ultimately, we, we understand and recognize that it's your business. And some people are a little bit more open, like, hey, we just want you to run it, do whatever you need to do. You've got access to these resources, great. Uh, that's not always the case though.
0: What about um so in, in terms of like retail, you know, how e-commerce is taking over. Where what about like brands who are just starting out in e-commerce and are they're going the opposite direction, they're not going from retail onto e-commerce, they're going from e-commerce and they're diversifying in Hitting those shelves, like they are either end up wholesaling or they end up going to like selling on different marketplaces. What what's kind of that journey? Do you guys handle that kind of roadmap as well? That is what we're
1: looking to do more of. So we highly inc- like omni-channel is the future of retail. Retail, retail, retail. Omnichannel. channel in very very simply
0: who said that. Wait, who said it?
1: very simply said. Retail space is fractured. There's so much shelf space. You gotta get in front of the, the you know, like I said previously, you gotta get in front of your consumers. Um, so if that means, and also you wanna, you wanna have a little bit more security. We know that Amazon can be volatile, that they can shut down your account or suspend a product for whatever reason. And you have to, you know, prove almost beyond a shadow of a doubt that uh, you fixed it or you know it wasn't a problem, it was a mistake on their end. And they're always gonna be super cautious, which I get, because of that customer service focus. But um, you should be selling on your own website. You should be selling on walmart.com. You should be selling in a retail store if it makes sense for your for your brand. It could be a boutique store. It could even be a big store. Um, and part of the reason you need to be on Amazon, even if major retail is your, your main source of income, I would say, is because 54% of people are using, going to Amazon first to research a product, just to search for a product over Google. So if your product is not represented well on Amazon or it's being misrepresented by other people because you have not taken ownership of your brand, it will hurt your brand. uh, It will hurt the the quality of your brand and you'll have less trust from a consumer. And that could potentially mean a miss sale inside of a target or inside of a, of a smaller store or potentially even your own e-commerce store. People might want to go to Amazon and look at reviews and say, is this legit? And so if you're not representing your brand, well, uh, that's, uh, that's unfortunate. And so I think one of the next steps for us is what do we, how, what do, we do beyond amazon.com? So we're helping clients to grow internationally, to go to different marketplaces and assessing and saying, okay, is Amazon AE right for you because of your product fit and what we see over there is Um, Amazon Australia, uh, Amazon UK, all those different marketplaces. And sometimes we're starting in Canada, starting in the UK, and then, you know, going into the States, but also what else can we leverage is, you know, what do we think of walmart.com? And is that something that we feel like is a viable channel? Uh, Can we end up getting connections to certain retail locations to get people whose products, like if we have a client who has like a tool-based product, can we also get them into Home Depot? That would be, I think. A, a, an ultimate goal over the next coming years is to be able to service multiple platforms and help in that omni-channel
0: uh, regard because we do we do encourage that and feel like it is the the way of the future. When did you foresee that e-commerce shopping became a necessity versus just a luxury?
1: Nineteen ninety-two. Yeah, very. Um, when did I think that it
0: was beyond a luxury? I mean, you know what I mean? So so the when, when you used to start, sh- like people got past this whole threshold, of like I have to put my credit card information to this like digital box for them to send me a product. I don't know if it's going to arrive to me or anything like that. I, I would want to touch it. I don't know what it looks like. Like I want to make sure it fits. Th- those are like luxury I, in a mentality wise. I think that's a luxury to be able to say like, oh yeah, like I can get past all those blockades. But now people are just like, They've gotten past us. Those. those no longer exist. They're just like, I need toothpaste today, pr- like two hour delivery that stuff Ooh. to me and boom, I'll get it. Like, I don't want to go out of my house. When I get home, I want to know my groceries are at my door or whatever, or anything like that. I think 2015 me. and
1: 2020 is when things really started to ex- really, really accelerate for Amazon. I mean, they opened up their third party marketplace, Early 2000s. So, I mean, it's been around almost 20 years. But I really think in the past couple of years, partially because Amazon has raised the standard of what other e-commerce sellers should be doing, like free shipping, charging shipping on your site. We we know that you're kind of paying for shipping either way. But a lot of people are are marketing, you know, free shipping because that's something that that Amazon really pushed. Um, more more sites are coming up with some kind of membership. Walmart is Walmart plus, although I believe it's mostly just for like groceries and stuff, Um, but people are are getting more competitive and they're providing more advantages. And so people are starting to see that. And when you have, I mean, if, if it were not a necessity before 2020, 2020 put a very clear line in the sand and said, you cannot, you can't not access e-commerce you you have to utilize it in some fashion um maybe it's because there's a global pandemic maybe it's because you don't have time to go out
0: to circuit city is that even a store anymore i don't think so um no (laughs) well like fry like (laughs) fries just like did you see that article uh fries which is an electronic store that was the biggest like retailer of Apple (laughs) products just filed chapter 11 bankruptcy like yesterday or something like that and i was like a I didn't know that was a store, and that's like maybe outside. Awesome. I I didn't know it was a store. I was like, I don't think I've ever stepped foot inside of fries, but yeah, yeah, it's just stuff like that where you just pop out of nowhere. Like these stores are the best stores are adjusting and they're seeing these trends and they're not letting it go by. I think like Walmart saw that early, really, really early. I said not as early as like Amazon, but they saw it and they're like, they started making acquisitions like jet.com and, yeah, yeah, uh, that's they really and they're like starting to land. Gra- it's almost a land grab, but it's not like you have to do it to be, you know, relevant to what the next generation of shopper is going to be. And yeah. I know target does a good job. Like their whole thing was, if you look at the, it was either the book grit or it was the book, uh, forget. It was like, goes into the buyer psychology of, target.com specifically the guy who would send catalogs to people with specific products and serve those catalogs before they even knew that they needed those products. Like you would be able to tell by purchase history and things like that. Yeah, It was super fascinating. Like you would be able to see the person's pregnant before they even got pregnant, which was the weirdest thing is how they like said, like, they're going to have children here shortly because of the things that's are purchasing. Crazy. I go, that is bizarre. Why are you on me in my bedroom? Mr. Yeah. Th- 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 Thanks a lot, of Target. Like, yeah, get out of here. Um, but it's just like purchase history. Like, you can put like A to B to C and you can tie all those points back to like life events or like groceries and stuff like that. Oh, and by the way, like, you, why not buy your groceries here? Oh, and that's by the real. way, that's buy some clothes. Doing. Yeah. That's it's, what, it's just
1: that's like rewards programs come out like Kroger, any other place there, they give you discounts on certain things, but they also are analyzing your data. That's, I mean, I honestly, when people found out that Facebook was selling people's data or using that data to to generate money, when people were surprised by that, I was surprised by that. I'm like, how could you not- You're surprised that people were surprised? How could you not know that the, and, and maybe it's just a, maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe it's an awareness thing, you know that, Okay, when you um, purchase something, you're giving someone your number, but you're not really thinking beyond that. Um, you know, how, how places like Google and Facebook
0: handle those things once they're caught. Uh, or caught. I, I wouldn't say even caught. caught. I would say, yeah, acknowledge, like they acknowledge it. Or they like, acknowledged like, yeah, it, of course we do it.
1: But also then going beyond and saying, well, we used it for a nefarious purpose or to push something that we believe in uh, socially or, or politically. When then, when you start to utilize that, and I think become less of a of a become less of a free market type thing, and more of a publisher, that's when it starts to be a lot of concerns and issues. And that honestly was a problem with a site called Backpage. Uh, I don't know how familiar anyone is with that story. Uh, it's it was like a Craigslist site, uh, and there is a documentary called "I Am Jane Doe" that's on Netflix, and it's about. Ah, uh, girls who were basically trafficked and forced into prostitution, um, and I know this is not like the brightest thing to talk about on a Friday, but um, okay. they were forced into to prostitution, and then people were, especially underage girls, people were were putting up advertisements for, for like basically, sex or prostitution, and on backpage, and I I know Craigslist took took their personal section down because it was a huge liability. Um, but people on Backpage weren't only allowing ads of like what could be young girls and language of young girls use, um, but they were also profiting from that. And so the problem and why there was a uh, a bill passed in 2018 that was called uh, the, the SESTA, which is the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. And it basically said you as someone that is a, um, you know, because you've you've got traditional publisher publishers like New York Times or something like that, and they have they have to be responsible for what they print. But someone like Facebook or Google, they are not saying they're a publisher. They're saying we're an, like an open market thing. But when you start curating content, you're deciding what goes out and what doesn't. That's when you start becoming a publisher, and different rules apply. And so that's why big tech companies fought the Cesta um, fought Cesta because they didn't want to be a publisher and be held responsible for things, but then you like, as you get more connected and as you create these new things, you understand these complications a little bit more. I think mm-hmm. that's been clear in any kind of uh, revolution in an agricultural revolution, in the industrial revolution, there are a lot of uh, casualties you you could say in those things. And so I think, um, gotta think long and hard about how important is this information? How important is, is all, all this stuff to you? Um, but what, what I will say and tying this back to Amazon is that they are starting to release more and more customer information, which I believe is, is super helpful. People have complained about Amazon not having enough data for a long time. I mm-hmm. disagree with that. There's plenty of actionable data. Do you get to find out, you know, where someone's from per se when they're purchasing? No, not necessarily. You don't get. Unless that.
0: you're the seller in the order, you get like location and uh, yeah, stuff like that. So it's, it's more, I don't know the, about that comment. Um, but anyways, um. <laughs> uh, I just enjoying the
1: comment section, but yeah, I, I think it's been helpful to ha- see Amazon open up some of the data. Like now they're offering for brands demographics. Um, that can be super helpful when you're going to run ads on social media and you want to hit a target, target audience. Now you can say, Oh, I know that, um, my clientele is women uh, between you know 30 and 40 that finished high school but didn't go to college, then you can start targeting those people more effectively. And that is helpful, but there are there should be options for people who want to opt out of that. Like DuckDuckGo is an example of a browser that doesn't serve you ads or anything, you still get paid through ads, but they don't serve you anything based off of your personal information. They based it solely on the search. So you could go to DuckDuckGo yeah. and get a lot of different information than you would from, from Google per se.
0: Right. And, and to kind of like make a point to that comment, but also tie it back to our larger point, the reason why we're talking about like both the ugly side of like how you um, target people like in terms of advertising on retail or digital or however you look at it, It's, it depends on the data you have accessible, right? It's, it's what, what is free flow of information, but then also like, how are you getting it in front of those kind of, uh, people? So like, we'll tie this back to retail, same thing with your loyalty card. You scan that before your purchase Kroger or whoever, um, like a a Publix or whoever grocery store that you have, when you scan your loyalty card, same thing with an account, every account that you purchase through an e-commerce site, they will look at your customer history and say hey, we have a curated list of things that you purchased from us, serve ad or serve deal or serve content or here's a coupon. You purchased this in the past. After two weeks, this is the same thing with Amazon does. After two weeks, they say, hey, leave a review. Like, why not purchase another one? That's mm-hmm. why they do like the uh, automatic fulfillment of certain products and goods. Hey, we know you should be out of like coffee or detergent or anything like that. It's it's almost like they've taken data and like The customer journey and made it more consumable and easier for you to to get what you want and like that can also be done on a very like disgusting way too like you you feel like violated in a way of you know this is not exactly i mean like think about that like you're like i don't want people to actually know more about me than me but that's not i mean like if someone's just following you around behind you, that's what you're doing. It's the same thing with phones, the same thing with computer search histories, things like that. They're I, all accessible I, information that you would so, I, say that again.
1: Oh, I'm no, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. You, you
0: finished. Oh, no, you're go ahead. Uh, I want to make sure I heard your point. Uh, I just like to interrupt people,
1: and that's a terrible habit that I have, so I need to break, learn to break that. <laughs> um, not, not even, like, intentionally, but I will just – I'm like, so excited about the thing I want to say. And it's like, you have to learn to shut up. Anyway, this is not my therapy session. I'll talk to with my wife.
0: <laughs> oh no, it's fine. It, and that, but, but that's the thing, right? Like, so with like retail stores, like they do it through, it's just like a, it's pretty in your face way to do it. Like it's the loyalty card. Every company has it. That's why, you know, they have sign up for your email address or ask for your email address so yeah. they can then serve you their information. So you become a repeat customer. Like information you're willingly giving it on a very high level. No matter if you're in a retail store or online, it's just how it's being used to get to you quicker and more. Um, I would say more customized is the That's very. Right. The, the customization is the scary part with a lot of it's people. Personalized, and so there's
1: an advantage to that for you. You're going to get served things that are you're more likely to purchase. The store is more likely to get a sale from that. But yes, then it starts to get into a gray area of how much do they know about me. And I think from a broader perspective, because information is so much more accessible now, people are yeah. more aware of that. But the big companies, uh, the p of the world, the Kimberly Johnsons, or the, yeah, Kimberly Johnson, the Johnson and Johnson, they were getting consumer information from places like Nielsen or other big companies yeah. that data like data has been
0: around for a long time people so if you same know, with tv commercials like where like who are my customers if i yep. it's, if it's on fox news or if it's on like pbs yeah. like yeah, P, P, pbs is the funniest thing because it's really blind and in your face like my wife will watch pbs in the morning on saturdays like no longer cartoons but like or it wasn't cartoons like it's like woodworking stuff and then you will see like the woodworkers uh union of america or something like that like join today and you're like well, yeah. this is pretty obvious why they're serving this ad. It's a yeah. woodworking show. Like, get, it, it, it's just how data is consumed. So let, let's take that really jumping off point before, do you have a hard stop at the top of the hour, by the way? I can, I can go for a little bit. Yeah, uh, I want to make sure we're, um, if people have questions, again, if you're watching this on LinkedIn or YouTube, feel, to give us your thoughts. We want to make sure that we understand like your perspective on what we're saying. If it doesn't make sense, that's fine. Uh, if, if you have- if- I got the mail right here. Let's open it up. Yeah, let's let's open up. Uh, yeah, a question from the audience here. What is your favorite Avengers movie? The fa- for Ooh, that's a good question. So, 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 lead up while I think about this subliminally. Um, so they just released the because movies didn't exist in 2020, pretty much, right? Yeah, they, right? Nothing came out. Everything got pushed. So Disney got this beautiful reset where they did Wandavision. Once it ends, then you hit a Winter uh, Soldier. And Winter Soldier and Captain America, or whatever they're called, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, I don't want to call him Captain America because he's not—he's not Steve Rogers. Come on, man. Um, but anyways, you uh, once that ends, then uh, they're releasing Black Widow movie. Okay. And then once once that comes out the next month, that's when Loki is gonna hit in Disney Plus. So it's like. You almost have, like, the whole 2020, almost all of 2021 is just going to be, like, lined with, like, new content that they've just been waiting to, like, really line up beautifully for you. And then I'll just keep, like, back to where we are um today. But anyways, what I'm I'll, – I'll give you two parts. My favorite movie is probably the original Iron Man, like, the first Iron Man movie because that really, like – that was, like, the iconic, like – it's not the – toby Maguire spider-man series like you know what i mean like it wasn't like the original fa- fantastic four with actual uh um what's his face uh who played captain america but he played you know uh human torch uh, i'm blanking on his name Rando chris, Cal- he- chris, evans. Yeah, chris evans yeah chris evans sorry oh, chris um evans. yeah so he so watching that like that was like when my childhood and then you kind of switch it over to like the new one that was like the kickoff to you know this this series but i'm excited about sorry i just kicked my dog underneath my desk um i'm I'm really excited about the the young uh, avengers like they're like really teasing this pretty hard in the ecosystem so like the stuff that's not pretty mainstream i I like that kind of i'm liking where that will continue to go love our look at that best marvel movie thank you larry i agree i agree with you best marvel movie and he's probably a seller himself Oh yeah! Nice. Welcome. Well, thank you for watching. I love up, you, <laughs> Michael. Loves you. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a fantastic movie. Like, obviously, I'm a big superhero uh, fan. I like movies in general. But what what would be yours? I guess. Um, my favorite movie, or just let's go favorite superhero movie and then favorite movie. Um, favorite superhero
1: movie. I guess some of the Batmans, the Christopher Nolan Batmans that came out fantastic, uh, or the, or the original Batman uh, because of this
0: guy right here. Oh, Prince did the soundtrack to it. Um, Which one was that? I always forget. It was what a was very
1: that? original one with Michael Keaton.
0: Oh, it was the Michael Keaton one. Danny DeVito as the um, yeah. Which do my, you know? My favorite movie is, is maybe
1: Purple Rain. That's what, um, that's what Larry said in the comment section. And so I think it's, probably true I, I really have to think about like some of the movies that I really like and remember watching was um, were some some movies that my wife and I first started watching like I remember when my wife and I were first dating we went to go see Napoleon Dynamite Well actually I, I take that back. She saw it with my father <laughs> while I was gone on tour with my band at the time um, and the uh, I went out watching it when, when I got back. But it was such a funny movie. We went and saw it in the theaters like four times, I think. Napoleon Dynamite. It's kind of crazy. And we just recently watched it with our uh, almost eight-year-old daughter throughout the pandemic, and that dancing part where he's like dancing to the Jamiroquai song. like that was kind of funny to like go back. But but honestly, ever since it's all my, the hand movements. Ever 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 since my daughter was born, we haven't really watched a a ton of movies. So, I mean, like I've seen some good stuff. I'd, I'd probably be better to like, say like, what's your, what are like your top five albums or something? That's probably a better question for me. Cause I'm not really, um, right. I'm not really a, a big movie buff. but I, there's something I wanted to say about when we were talking about customization or personalization of data. And That's that, it. that is, that hasn't changed. There are, there have been companies that have been collecting your data or watching you like Nielsen, for a very long time and big companies have had access to that. What has changed is that now smaller businesses have access to that information because of people like Google or Facebook or other people that are collecting information and then selling it off. Is, is using your information to serve you better ads ethical? I think so. It's, it's personalization. It's a little bit more customized to you, but is selling your data to other people to
0: then go and market you ethical? Uh, that's that's kind of a. You're talking about like an Adobe or anything like that, like anything. where they collect it and then they resell it to advertisers. Yeah, but the the thing that is different uh, is the medium. So like, there
1: used to be coupon books. They're putting, they would put out. I mean, there still are some. I don't know
0: how many people still get like reach. They magazine. still do it. Well, they still do it based upon your zip code where you live. You will get curated. Like, I moved to a bigger house, and like the ads from where I moved from my three bed and two bath house. Like I live in the Midwest. So it's like, uh, there's like, you go to the suburb of like a five bed and a four bath house. It's not like the night it's, we're not the biggest house in like the neighborhood or in the area. We're just in a nicer, like 97 is like our, age of our house. We're not at like brand new spanking house, but yeah. like the ads you get served from the three bed, two bath in like downtown Indianapolis to like a suburb just north of it is unreal. Like you yeah. instantly get served. Like, lawn care, like, because you have more money, people assume that you can afford a higher end services, goods, products, remodel your bathroom. You can afford like this customized patio. And I mean, a lot of home stuff because that's a lot of big ticket items. Yeah. I mean, I just throw it away because I know what's happening. And I'm like, I don't hate me. It's, it, and it just, yeah. technology
1: is just advanced. Old coupons might've been what? What are we seeing people purchase? What do we need to get rid of? And now they're able to make those.
0: Did Sears Roebuck do that with their catalog? Did they customize it? I forget. I, I'm not sure.
1: I don't. Or was person. it
0: was it pretty consistent, and that's what they just sent? Out I
1: just imagine they were saying people overall are wanting to um, to purchase this item because we've seen a lot of it, or we've seen a lot of certain people, so they might be maybe not tailoring it b- based on region, but they're curating the content in a book based on what what they think is going to sell or like even looking at consumer trends do we see more people buying products because of a company being socially uh responsible or are people buying it because of x y and z there's a lot more data and information to look at and people are are making decisions or businesses are making decisions on even what they want to advertise on because they're like how relevant is this to our business
0: well and that's why we had uh, stephen black who's fantastic in terms of data and it's like social he does social listening a lot to know like what problems your products can do and he's always saying he asks in his groups like hey does this is this apply to these kinds of like groups like he he gave the example hockey dads like what is the problem that you're trying to solve they're like i hate it when the pads when they come home and the kids throw them off and they stink yeah okay well i'm going to sell you a like padding or like Almost like compression sorts that are breathable that don't stink when your kids come home and they throw them into like their laundry basket. Yeah. That's that's social listening and that's curating data to better serve your customers. And I think so, that's helpful. I do think that that's help that can be helpful. That's super helpful. And then, like obviously, you're listening to the needs of customers, but I, I think that and this this maybe like a whole different like round table. We get together a group of people it's like, what's the efficacy of data that's being used on Amazon? And, like, how do you better use it to protect your customers but also use it to profit? Like, what's that line? But I I think to use data, if it helps get a product that's needed and they're searching for that, that's great. Like, an ad, a PPC ad, if they're searching for a certain search term, excellent, fantastic. Let's give them easier content to find it, make it easier for them to purchase. Is it background information, like, Hey, I'm searching on my phone and I don't necessarily opt in to like, Hey, I want to be served these ads at this time because of XYZ like mm-hmm. is in passive. That's where I start to, It starts to get tricky. Like what's that fine line of like too much information is, is, is too much. So, and the
1: reselling of information I think can be, can be problematic, but
0: I will say for smaller companies,
1: you're still collecting data you do have a, um, a responsibility to make sure you're handling that data uh, correctly big big companies are a bigger target but just make sure you're being careful with how uh, you're handling stuff because there is some sense of information in there that's not you don't want to 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 get out to people you and that's why amazon will only let you you know access certain information about a customer now because they're trying to to guard that more carefully and I think they've it might be frustrating because you don't have as much quote-unquote access to the customer, but I think they've done a good job of protecting customers from third-party or other people. Now, they've got a ton of information. What they're doing with it, totally different story. And they're that, you know, you, you were talking about the most people who buy this product buy it with this other product. That's a black box. I mean, there is, there's probably a couple people that know... Yeah. You can yeah, manipulate it. it. Right. But but right. And you can you can sell ads on something so that it, it gets better. Uh, there's more correlation there. But like a lot of clients will say, Hey, how do we get into that box? I'm like, there's no payment for that spot. It's really a black so- box unless you understand how Amazon works and then you might be able to influence that. Um, I would also say when you talked about SEO earlier, I would venture to say that and I and I believe that the three most important things for a product on Amazon, are your media assets section, so images and videos, mm-hmm. your reviews, and your price point. If you can tell your story in that area, I don't, and you still need to have some SEO relevant keywords on the back end and in your title. And you want stuff that people are searching to show up in the title. So they say, oh, I searched pet bed. This says pet bed, uh, not pet futon or something like that. So you're, you're actually having them see what it is they're searching. But if you can nail it in that top section, especially on mobile, where an A plus content is You're talking about the title. Uh, I'm just talking about the oh, in the product reviews, description, price, for you. reviews, price, and um, media assets section. Those are the three most important sections. If you can nail those, I think you could fudge other things. Um, bullet points on mobile show up under A plus content. It's still it's still relevant from an SEO perspective. But what do you really need to nail as people go more mobile? the top portion of what people are seeing on the ad and what fits on their phone screen is the images the reviews the price and then add to cart that's that's what you're encouraged to look at most so if you even if you have a poorly written listing if you could if you could explain what the product does in images infographics and a video i think you could get away with i would love to do a case study on that but i think you could get away with uh, having bad bullet points, or even potentially, I, you, Amazon wouldn't let you leave them off. But like very minimal bullet points, um, I think you could you could get away with it because people are so visually oriented now. And we've seen that with like sponsored brands with video getting access, uh, our clients access to that. We've seen some great results on branded and just general category keywords. And I think those those visual thing, the no, vis- visual cues, it's what really is driving consumer behavior right now. I don't know how much text or sales copy unless it's something on a website like a website you know obviously that's that's important but or copy for like a LinkedIn post or something like that but but in general I think people are really really visually uh, based and so you're gonna have to like we used to think last year I would say like video is good to have now we're like you have to have a video you have to have video because we can also use it in advertising but you need it people are, are focused on that
0: I think in the bullet points, the quickest things that people look for are dimension size, which is like how big a certain product might be. Cause I'm always looking for, is this going to fit? It's not just me, but like certain products, like, is this going to fit? You know, what's the actual, if it's a shoe, you know, if it, how, how true is it to fit if it's a shirt, you know, um, apparel is one thing, but then like dimension size. So I know it's going to fit in the space that I am looking for that product. And then, um, the look of it, obviously. So imagery and then video. Of somebody actually using it, and so yeah. like I know for a fact that all the different features and functions are going to apply to what I wanted to do because read people, again, I keep telling this: people are lazy now. We don't like to read as much anymore. It's it's a scan. It's a very much a scan mentality of yeah. what's the quickest way I can consume this information. If it's not what I want, boom, I'm down to the next one. So that That's being said, images and video.
1: video just say this is oh I heard this today. This is now fact this article title said this and it's like, did you read the whole article? Did you look at the studies that were behind that? There's, I think there's too much information and we don't know how to, how to curate that for ourselves anymore.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, Michael, I know I kept you a little bit past our time oh, when I you said right. that we would do it, but um, what, what's like the best way, like what, one final question before we kind of lead today um, and you kind of tell us where you can find out more information about you and cardiology and uh, the rest of your businesses. what is, the most exciting thing you guys are looking forward to to twenty twenty one, in terms of like you yourself or for your business.
1: For our business, we have an opportunity to really successfully serve clients, which is which is our mission statement to serve. Um, that's, and that's a natural extension of, you know, God just created me to be, have a heart of service. So it naturally extends to my business. Um, but it really, we have a, an incredible opportunity to serve brands and really help them to grow because we've got a really great understanding of what Amazon, how it works and the tools that are available. And we're leaning into those new tools. Um, and then we're also going to be, uh, we're piloting some programs to get onto to different marketplaces, uh, and help clients there. And so hopefully that'll be something by the end of the year we have, uh, more nailed down and we can actually, you know, publicly market that. Um, personally, what am I looking forward to? Uh, I'm looking at going on vacations because, um, I need those to help me relax and a lot of people are not traveling right now, but we've been able to still, my family's still been able to, we, we paused for a while, but then we drove a lot. We have been able to fly and have been safe and everything's been fine. Even been to Disney world in January, uh, um, a ton, a ton of fun. Had the best tequila in my life ever uh, at in Epcot because they have all the different countries and in, in the Mexico pavilion. They I have- don't know. Mick-
0: I didn't know Mickey was distilling his own tequila. Yeah, it's, it's
1: pretty. It's pretty. Yeah. It was or pretty- is it? Or is it
0: the Three Caballeros? Like, is that the? Same? Yeah, the they, they, that's
1: that's where that ride is, right? Yeah, the Three Caballeros boat ride is in the Mexico pavilion, and there's a tequila bar there called Cava de Tequila. Um I didn't know that. So, so like, some of the best. Tequila, you ever find some of it can be pricey, but long story short, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to traveling. I'm looking forward to um I've been leaning into to growing uh, spiritually and getting with a group of guys that that are a small group at my church. That's something that's been super helpful for me virtually. Um yes. I mean, things in terms of the business though. Um oh, what was the name of the uh, uh the tequila that I had that was good? It was Herradura's Selecion Suprema. So S E L E C C I O N Suprema, um, the bottle is like three hundred bucks. But I was able to get the um,
0: a little tasting.
1: I got a tasting of it, uh, which was I think it was like sixty bucks for. Um, it was a, it was a bit was, of, a bit of a splurge. I, I feel like I was just a, yeah. I just put yeah. myself out there like okay, this person is spending this much on these things. Now I'm giving you data so that you can come back and you can advertise to me. Um, or
0: if you have a great client, Larry that wants to send you a nice bottle of tequila. Yes, that would be very
1: nice, right? <laughs> where, like, where, can, where can people find us? ThinkCartology.com yeah. is, is our website. Um, we, a lot of people will think that our business name is ThinkCartology but really cartology.com is taken even though we have the copyright. And so we went with ThinkCartology like when you need help with Amazon. What are you gonna do? Think
0: right. online. Yeah, uh,
1: I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, you can my if you actually want to see my profile, it's um, you know LinkedIn forward slash in forward slash I'm Michael Marr. Um, mm-hmm. you just look at Michael Marr, or Amazon, or something like that. You'll you'll see me. I'll uh, have my stupid looking glasses on and my stupid face in the, in the picture. Um, with L- the
0: luckily, yeah. Luckily for everyone, I put that in the show notes.
1: Oh, good. Yes. Comment section. Perfect. So, so they to, can find you. Yeah. But, I mean, there, honestly, there's a, there's a ton of potential with Amazon. We've changed marketing materials to reflect that because there there's been so much change in consumer behavior. We need to capitalize on that. We need to make sure, um, we need to make sure that we are, uh, helping people to grow and take advantage of those opportunities that are there. So even if it someone just wants to have a conversation, like what does opportunity look like on Amazon? Let's talk, that's that's kind of our goal is, can we get on the phone with someone? Can we better understand what it is it they need and can we help them or could someone else
0: potentially help them? Excellent, and like I said, you're looking for small, medium sized businesses, but you guys are gonna grow your offering, which is really cool. Everyone in this space is really trying to develop and make a customer 1st approach. So obviously if it's if it's the right fit, Check out Michael and his team. Um, check him out on LinkedIn. He, he's been a fantastic, great bits of knowledge. He's posting on there. Um, and then follow the th- uh, Cartology or I think Cartology as well. Hey, man, thanks so much for hopping on. A f- well, I, I'm looking forward to your podcast when that ever, and eventually comes out. You Maybe. You is it just
1: Maybe.
0: It's okay. It's like, it's only if like I did a good job. Like I want to, if I'm fun and, and cool and I represent people well, the I want to do
1: world talk about retail, talk about the future of retail. Amazon's a big part of that, but there it's a, it's a show that will take a lot of, uh, require a lot of parts because we just so, is so big. So is it just you that's going to host it or what's it's just the- me right now? It's just me right now. Um, I've got some ideas, uh, for guests, like we'll have other agency owners on We'll have other people that maybe you wouldn't even expect. Um, like someone that, you know, an example could be like an economist who's like, hey, here's what we're seeing. Here's what's going on. How could that potentially affect retail? Because I, I really need that aspect of retail, especially brick and mortar changing. It's, I don't think it's going to go away, but it's going to change. And so how can everybody lean into that so that they can really access their customers where they're at?
0: Absolutely. No. Yeah. Let me know. I'll, I'll chat with you after this. Some, some thoughts on that too. So that's well, really cool. Like, well, exciting that all the projects you're working on. Definitely check uh, check out Michael and his team over at Cartology. Um, thank you so much for hopping on a Friday. That was a lot of fun, and uh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> I <had a> <laughs> nice bow. I don't know what to say in that moment. It was just like a moment of silence for thanks people for listening. On yeah, but thanks so much for hopping on uh, on a Friday. Thanks, Michael. Oh yeah, of course. And then uh, for everyone, again for uh, again, this is uh, crossover commerce. This is episode sixty six. We finished another fantastic week here on our show um, I'm looking forward to next week uh with all of our different guests we're gonna have actually four different um cl- uh different live shows again we're gonna do Monday Tuesday Wednesday and Friday again um, bringing up those uh those people real quick so I can kind of tease next week for everyone who's who's curious and on their seats so we're gonna have uh Dima Kubrick of sellerize he's gonna be talking a little bit about like how Amazon has ebbed and flowed in the different tools he's um, using in terms of profitability and he's been building out as well. My Amazon guy with Stephen Pope is going to hop on. Uh, Tyler Jeffcoat of uh, Seller Accountant, and then also Jeff Mendenbach, who's uh, he runs a 250 person company all remotely and this his company is a, uh, a fantastic graphic design company that's doing really cool and innovative things in the graphic design space. So definitely come and check him out. He's going to talk about running a fully remote um, business in at scale with 250 plus employees all around the world. So it's gonna be really cool to hear his thoughts on the matter kind of taking a little bit of a departure from e-commerce, but he has a lot of e-commerce, um, clients. So we're going to pick his brain of like what's doing well, what a lot of people are doing in terms of ads and serving, uh, them, but his business is doing really cool and fun things as well. So check us out next week. Uh, lots of cool projects and the works behind the scenes so that we can bring more information to you, our audience. Again, for international growth, Amazon growth, e-commerce growth, this is a place where I want people can come and listen um, and get one or two nuggets, hopefully, throughout the day and have a little bit of fun as well. So again, I'm Ryan Kramer with Crossover Commerce. I'm the affiliate and partnership manager here. If you have questions, go ahead and reach out to me directly at ryan.kramer, and that's spelled C-R-A-M-E-R at pingpongx.us. love to hear your thoughts or if just questions and learn about pingpong or some of our guests that we've had on the show. But... For uh, Michael Mayor of Cartology, I'm Ryan Kramer. Again, thank you so much for joining us on another live episode of Grasshopper Commerce. Have a good weekend, everyone.